Good morning. How's everyone doing today? All right. More awake than I expected. Fantastic. Uh, I, re I really want to thank you guys for coming out on Father's Day and uh, for just allowing me to uh, stand up here and open up the Word of God. And uh, will you just pray with me real quick? Father God, uh, we thank you so much for this church and for the fathers that are here today. And God, I, I, I pray that right now you would just empty me of self right now and just speak through me as a vessel for your word and your teaching, God. We pray all this in your son's name. You know, as Todd mentioned, I've got a really cool job. Uh, I am the culinary producer for the Food Network show uh, Restaurant Impossible. Uh, basically, I do all the behind-the-scenes stuff in the kitchen, the ordering, the organizing, and all that stuff to kind of make the, the food end of that show happen. Um, and it's such a rewarding job because when we go on one of these shows, about three times a month, we do one of these, we do one of these shows. And so I go into a restaurant that is failing. And I go into a restaurant that these people are on their last leg. We are coming in on their last shot. They are days, months, at most, away from bankruptcy. And so it's an incredibly fulfilling job. And it's kind of, I, I, I grew up loving to cook. I went to culinary school. Um, and then it kind of burned out for a while, and that's how I ended up working in a church. And so to kind of fill that gap in, if you were wondering on that one. Um, and so, uh, so yeah, so it, it, I, I love that job. But the best part of my job happens at the end of every shoot when I come home to Savannah, Hilton Head International Airport. I walk up the terminal, and then I pass by that security checkpoint on the left-hand side, and I come up that little ramp, and I get to see my incredibly beautiful wife and my two kids. And my oldest son, Reese, comes running across that big lobby, just screaming, Daddy, with his hands like wide open. I'm like, the, I'm like, yes, this is awesome. And like my little guy, Holden, he's like one and a half. He's kind of got this goofy smile, and he's just like, and just like, he's all happy to be, for me to be back, and it's so fantastic. And that's the best part of my job, is actually coming back from my job, because I have this privilege of having a far better title than culinary producer for a TV show. I have this privilege of being called father or dad, and it's such a privilege because this is the same title that God uses for himself when he refers to his relationship with us. I mean, that's, that's big. That's weighty. That's, there's something to that. Like, I'm a, I'm a father. And that's what God referred to himself as, as father. And so today we're going to talk about fatherhood, but we're going to talk about it in kind of an interesting way. We're going to look at the parable of the prodigal son, and we're going to look at fatherhood through really two sons, because this parable is cut into, two, in, into really two acts. So the first act is about the rebellious son, and the second act is about the religious son. But between both acts, there's this father that represents God in the story. And this is where we learn about God in the story. 
Because whenever you read a parable, the first thing you're going to learn about in that, and the first thing Jesus Christ was teaching about in that parable, is God. It's not about mustard seeds. It's not about two kids, first and foremost. It's about God and his character and his being. But secondarily, in a level, kind of a sub-level in this one, we get to learn about ourselves through the two sons. And so we're going we're gonna to open the Word of God. We're going to go to Luke chapter 15. And first off, we're going to look at verse 1 and 2 in Luke chapter 15. Because we, in order to understand uh, where, where, God, where Jesus is coming from in the teaching, you have to understand who he's talking to. And so verse 1 and 2. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Now, you have to understand, in Jesus' time, to eat with someone meant you accepted them. So Jesus was accepting sinners. Eating with someone wasn't just some, you know, ho-hum event. This was a big deal. And so the Pharisees are looking at him because they felt they were morally, spiritually, and racially superior to this group of sinners and tax collectors. They would rather have died before sitting down and taking a meal with them. And so now they grumble in an attempt to discredit Jesus in this moment. And so in Jesus' response, he tells three stories, three parables, and the three of them culminate with this, with this big, well-known parable, the parable of the prodigal son. So verse 11, and he said, there was a man with two sons and the younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. In this moment, the son is basically coming to his father and say, dad, I wish you were dead. Because what he's asking for is the inheritance that would come to him when his father died. He's, asked, he's telling him, Dad, you know what? You're better, I'd be better off if you weren't here. Let me put it another way. Dad, I love your stuff, but I don't love you. I mean, you can just imagine the heartbreak in the father at this moment. And the other thing that you have to understand, culturally, the acceptable response from the father at this time would have been at minimum to cast his son out, disinherit him, shun him, he's gone. On the extreme end, in Deuteronomy, there's biblical principle set where he could have sought at the temple the execution of his son for disobeying one of the Ten Commandments, honor thy father and mother. So, so this son isn't, you know, He's out there. He's rebellious. But look at the father's response. And he divided his property between them. This would have blown away the two groups that were listening to this, especially the Pharisees. Let's keep going. Not many days later, verse 13, not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there squandered his property in reckless living. 
And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. This is a young, reckless kid who grew up with a great, loving father. And you know what? Sometimes great, loving Christians' fathers have rebellious kids. Sometimes it happens. And this was a, this was a Jewish kid, a Jewish father at that time, but he was rebellious. He knew his father was financially responsible. He had an inheritance set aside for his son. In that time, that was incredibly financially responsible. He had grown up seeing the right way to handle his, his money, to dole out love. But he had just gone in a different direction. He was on a journey of self-discovery. That might sound familiar to, to you in this day and age, because that's kind of where we are. Our true north isn't really pointed at a true north. It's pointed at whatever we find to be our true north, and it changes. It shifts with the winds of the day and the principles and the morals of the day, and that's where this kid was. And then, to make it matters even worse for him, he squanders his money, and then the worst ever possible economic downturn happens to this kid in a far-off country. There's a famine. There is no food. There is no water. There is nothing, and he has nothing to the point where later on we find out he had to sell his clothing and his shoes just to try and make ends meet. And then he does something else. He does something even more. Verse 15, so he went and he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods of, that pig, of the pigs and no one gave him anything. I mean, hear this. This is a Jewish boy feeding pigs. This is the lowest of the lows. He's hoping to eat the scraps of their food while sitting in their mess. This would be, uh, I believe, rock bottom <laughs> for this young man. And then we find out a little bit more about him in verse 17. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here in hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against you, and I have sinned against heaven. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. I need you to hear this. This son is in repentance at this moment. And he has a plan. Because in that day, there were house servants who lived on the property and were paid. And there were hired servants that didn't live on the property but were, but were paid by, by the landowner. This son is saying, God, I don't even belong in your house as a servant. Pay me as a hired servant. I wouldn't even set foot on your property except to work. Because here's the thing. In order for him to have been brought back in the culture of that time, he would have had to have paid restitution to his father. So he's got a plan. He's going to go to his dad. He's going to ask for a salary and say, you know what? I don't even want it. Just, just let me pay you back. 
And so he gets up and he starts to head home. In verse 20, and he arose and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion, and he ran and embraced him and kissed him. Can you see this scene? This father who had lost his son, who had been so disrespected by his selfish, rebellious son. I mean, you can just picture this, this father standing in his field every day, looking out at the horizon, just hoping and praying to see the form of his son on the horizon. And then that day he does. And what is his reaction? His reaction is unconditional love. It's not condemnation. It's unconditional love. He goes out after him. He runs to him, which in that day, for an elder man to run would have been entirely, I mean, unthinkable. But he's, he's undignified, lovingly, his, loving his son. He loves him to the point where he doesn't care what anybody else thinks. But the son has a plan. So he goes to his father and he says, it says, Father, I've sinned against you. I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father's not having any of that. But the father said to his servant, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. In this moment, the father accepts him as a son. Actually, he doesn't just accept him as a son. He says, you never weren't my son. The best robes in the house would have been the father's own robes. That ring that he put on his hand signified sonship. And he became an heir of that family again. But the father goes even further. He throws a party. And bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this son, is, son was dead and is alive again. And he was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. This isn't just any party. You kill the fattened calf, you're bringing the entire community involved in this. This is, this is a party. This is a party that's worthy of like a marriage in our culture. But it's for the son that so disrespected him that the rest of the community would be like, dude, that's, that's, that's that guy's dad. And he's throwing him a party. So here we come to act two. And we meet the, re the religious son. Now his older son was in the field and he came and he drew near to the house. He heard music and dancing and he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he, the servant, said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he had received him back safe and sound, but he was angry and refused to go in. This other brother, he is ticked. Let me tell you why. There's a few reasons why. The first one is this. When his younger brother left the first time, his dad liquidated one-third of his assets and gave them to his son. His older son would have received two-thirds of his father's total assets upon his death and the responsibility of being the patriarch of his family from there on out. When his father put that ring on his younger brother's hand, that two-thirds that was left gets split up in thirds again. He's ticked. And out of being so angry, he now disrespects his father by not going into this incredible party where the entire community is there. So now this father's been disrespected by 
the rebellious son and by the religious son. And what's his response? The end of 28. His father came out and entreated him, begged him to come back in. But the son answered in verse 29. I mean, you can just see this kid pointing his finger at him. Look, these many years I have served you. I never disobeyed your commands, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with your friends. But when this son came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. Let me translate that. Dad, I don't love you. I love your stuff. It's the same heart as the rebellious son. It's just the way the older brother is coming about it is he's trying to buy his father's stuff with good works and good behavior. And the father at this point just has to be heartbroken. But the answer from his father is he said, Son, you're always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and he was found. You know, before we talk about fathers and fatherhood, I have to ask you a hard question. Which son are you? Because here's the thing. Man, woman, child, we're all one of the sons in this story. You know, right now in your life, you might be in that little sweet spot where, man, you love God, you love Jesus, and everything is just going great. But hear me, your heart leans one way or the other. So which way is it? Because here's the thing, dads, you can't be the father God wants you to be if you can't understand that your heart is leaning in one direction or the other or that you are actively living with the heart of a younger rebellious son or an older, hyper-religious brother. So which one are you? Right now, are you far from God? Are you the younger son? Living for your own personal satisfaction? Loving God's stuff, his creation, using it for your every want and pang? Misusing it? for every, year, every one of your wants and pangs? Is that where you are right now? I don't know how you got here today, but praise God you're here. I mean, maybe you're on that journey with that younger son who came to his senses, and you're in that spot, and praise God you're here. You know, maybe, maybe one of your friends invited you out to breakfast and was like, dude, we got one stop before we go and get eggs. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying that's a good evangelistic like, approach, but, you know, hey, sometimes it works. Um, you know, if, the, if, if that's you, praise God you're here because he wants you to hear this, he wants you to understand this, and he wants you to take this into your heart. He loves you, and he is seeking after you. There's a reason why you're in this seat with a rebellious heart. He wants you to know he loves you, no matter how far you are from him. He wants you to know that you don't have to come back to him with a plan for restitution. He's already paid your debt. He paid your debt when Jesus Christ 
hung from the cross to fulfill the sacrificial system for debt. He already paid that for you. So if you're not the rebellious one in here, guess what? You're probably the older brother in this story. You're the religious one. So is your closeness and adherence to the rules clouding your vision and blinding you from the fact that really you're, you, want God's, you want God's blessing and you're trying to buy it? You're setting out a bargain with God saying, God, if I just do all of this right, you have to make things good for me. Here's a good test to figure out if you're an older brother. When things go bad, what's your reaction? When things go bad, are you like, God, I did this, I've done this, I give my tithes, I give my offerings, I serve, I shake hands, I park cars, I do this. What is this? Is that your reaction? Here's a better one. When things are going well, that's just clean living. That's just clean living right there. Listen. Hey, older brothers, we know how you got here today. Man, your car basically autopilots itself to the front door. So, thank God you're here. Because he wants you to hear this message. He loves you. He's always loved you. And you don't need to manipulate his love. You don't need to buy his love with actions and works. It's free. By definition, that grace is free for you. And you just need to fall in love with Jesus Christ, with the God of the Bible. And fall in love with the fact that he has given his life for you. And that will pay everything. You don't need to pay another dime worth of good behavior or works. You know, some of you here, and I, I've been in this seat before, you've been both. I was rebellious before I knew God. I came out of the water at baptism and was like hellfire and brimstone. Maybe you, maybe you fluctuate. Your heart's always going to lean one way or the other. And you need to self-diagnose that and figure it out. Because here's the thing, fathers, mothers, if you're leading anyone, you need, to, you need to understand where your heart is before you can truly lead them. And before you can truly seek after the heart of the Father in this. Our job as fathers is to raise up godly kids that will do what is right, not for the love of God, but because of the love of God. If there's one thing you write down today, let it be that. Our job as fathers is to raise up godly kids that do what is right, not for or ex in exchange for the love of God, but because of the love of God. How do we do that? We actively, intentionally, and aggressively seek after their hearts and stir up their emotions for God. 
we have to actively do that as fathers and leaders, spiritual leaders in our families. I mean, maybe your kids are older and, and, and you've seen them go off. In this, in this parable, you need to take heart if you have that rebellious child that's taken off. Because sometimes distance, actually not sometimes, mo- it's easier to recognize distance from God. But what you have to do is you have to stir up their emotions for God. And you need to actively, aggressively seek after their heart for God. Not their actions. Actions follow the heart. If their heart, if you go after their heart, the actions will come. Paul tells us in Ephesians 6, Do not provoke your children to anger. One of the best ways to provoke your kids to anger is to expect behavior before you get to the heart. I'm not saying don't, don't raise your kids in discipline. No, you absolutely do that. It's all over the Bible and it's all over Proverbs. But if you're expecting your kids' actions to pay for, for God's good grace, that embitters the heart. Now, if, you're, if you've got an older child that maybe you see some, some symptoms of, of that second brother, you know, maybe this parable might not be as, as warm and fuzzy for, for that because I just want to point out, which brother didn't end up in the celebration? Sometimes closeness to the rules can actually create a bigger barrier than distance. And what we need to do for those kids is get on our knees and pray for them. Because who's, who's actually going to affect their heart? It's God. But you need to help them fall in love with Jesus again or for the first time. I've got two young kids, so I'm actively, aggressively, and intentionally seeking after their hearts in those little teachable moments in our lives every day. I do my best in this. I fail. I fall short. And I, you know, probably some of the most profound thing I say to my kids is I'm sorry. But last week when we were driving to church, we had a, uh, my wife was singing last week, and so it was just myself and the boys. And as we were coming over the bridge, my three-year-old, Reese, asked, he was like, I hear from the backseat, Dad, can we get donuts? I was like, dude, your, your mom's not in the car, and someone else is going to watch you for an hour and a half. Absolutely. Sugar it up. Box of munchkins. So we got a box of munchkins. Um, and... He, he then says to me, he's like, Dad, man, I, I like donuts. He's like, you know who came up with donuts? Who? God did. Someday when he's a teenager, he's going to look up on Wikipedia and tell me who came up with donuts. But then I'm going to sit there and I'll be like, listen, who put him on the earth to come up with donuts? <laughs> Boom. Mic drop. Anyways, <laughs> like... 
But it, right after that, all of a sudden, in the, in the back seat of the car, I hear, wow. I'll be honest with you, that could have been the sugar rush kicking in. I'm not sure. But my hope and my prayer is that he has one of his first memorable emotional responses of awe and wonder to the greatness and power of God. And the love of God. A God so great and so loving, he gave us donuts. To a three-year-old, that's amazing. So what is it to you? Here's the thing. You're breathing God's air right now. How amazing is it that he has given us the ability and the love to process that and turn that into exactly what we need for our bodies to keep going. That Father's Day steak you have tonight, he thought of that. So roll that love of that steak up onto the Father today. Put that up onto the Father. And actively, intentionally seek the heart of your children. And understand where your heart tends to, tends to lean. So that when you see that, you feel that in yourself, you can get on your knees and you can begin to fall in love with Jesus Christ more and more every day. Let's pray. Father God, we love you so much. And we just pray as we as we close today we just pray for the fathers in this room that they would seek after you first love you with all their heart all their mind all their soul and that they would actively and aggressively seek the hearts of their children and stir up their love and emotion for you. We pray for the older brothers that they might, that you might soften their hearts and that they might come to you and realize they don't need to buy your love or your affection. We pray for the younger sons, the rebels. Pray that they recognize their distance from you they come to their senses and they realize they don't need a plan for restitution you've already given that father we love you and we pray all this in your son's name